Hi, I'm Marc Richard, and you're listening to Pure Talk, the podcast where we talk about life, health, and living pure. On today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Thera Vialli. Thera is a, a speaker, an educator, a naturopathic doctor, and has been a yoga instructor for over 15 years. We talk today about her, her humble beginnings, why she chose naturopathic medicine, and how she goes about achieving her goal of changing the way we look at medicine today. This is Pure Talk. Dr. Vialli, thank you so much for joining us. Well, you're welcome. My pleasure. Um, Before we start, I must say, uh, just for knowing you for a couple of years, um, seeing you uh, a little bit in practice and that, you just have this calm easygoing demeanor that I really, I just can't explain. I don't, is there ever a stressful moment in your life ever? (laughs) (laughs) It's an honest question. Absolutely. Uh, I think, I think perhaps, um, I laugh a lot and that might be what comes across or conveys, yeah, or conveys this calm. Um, but I think just like everyone else, I have a lot of, I'm juggling a lot of plates and sometimes, uh, it can feel like, too much, and I tend to to step back and laugh at myself a lot more. Right. Um, right, right. So I might be I might be um, presenting it differently than others. That's not a bad defense mechanism. That's okay. <laughs> the laugh is all right. I just honestly, it's just that's the first thing that always came to mind with me with you. It was just you're always just so calm, so collected. Everything seems to be it's okay. That's lovely. Spirit. Yeah. That's lovely. Anyways, that's my that's my tip for the day. <laughs> start off. Um, I wanted to start maybe with um, with your home life mm-hmm. and growing up. And was was healthcare a big a big part of growing up? Was that a, was anyone else in healthcare, or or how did you come into come into the space? Well, this is a this is a fun trip down. Sure. Story lane, is that what it's called? We've got the time. Um, That's fun (laughs) to think about. Uh, So I grew up in Newfoundland on the east coast of Canada. Okay. Uh, I'm of East Indian background, and so I was probably one of maybe five Indian people. No kidding. (laughs) In in Newfoundland. Uh, But that is irrelevant to like my healthcare background, but it was just an interesting place to grow up. Mm -hmm. Um, And perhaps from my parents background from growing up in from them growing up in India uh, our house was very non uh, medicinal is mm-hmm. what I would say mm-hmm. so there's a lot of there's kind of ways to categorize uh, how we approach medicine as a society there's a really great book by um, groupman I think the name is called your medical mind okay. and it uh, differentiates people into maximalists and minimalists like people who really want to push whatever whatever type of therapy they're in mm-hmm. to the maximum and people who are minimalists and then people who are technologists so they use technology to push to the maximum or naturalists yeah. so they're maximalists but they're naturalists right. and uh so in that quadrant i think our family was uh perhaps naturalist minimalists okay so okay nothing right. <laughs> do nothing right. it was really the solution most of the time so yeah. there wasn't this big push that medicine was magical or that herbs were magical or that there was some panacea somewhere it was just like you get sick you deal with it and it's over yeah and if anything lasted longer than three days we go see a doctor and so it wasn't 
saying that we should never see seek medical care and in fact like really valued that medical care but mm-hmm. there was a we never had a medicine cabinet we didn't have i i don't think i'd ever seen tylenol until labor interesting like wow. yeah i hadn't had tylenol i didn't have an ibuprofen until i was 27 not because i like it was i wasn't pushing it away yeah, i just yeah. i didn't need it i didn't think i needed it and the way my family approached things that were not serious right. was to deal with that discomfort or that pain and exactly. get through it. Well, your gut thanks you for not taking ibuprofen for the first like, 25 <laughs> years, that's for sure. Yeah, so that so I didn't have a strong uh, medical influence from my family in terms of professional career mm-hmm. oriented. Uh, as the stereotype goes, the Indian families, it's like your options are doctor, lawyer, engineer, yes, accountant, but less so for Southeast Indians. Um, and so so it was a very natural progression that I would perhaps become a physician of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't because I had family members that were in that no. space. So was there ever a push to to go into the medical stream? Was that um, was that an original thought at all? Or was that... As a uh, as a young person, I think I all I always assumed I would be going to medical school because right. I had a I just had an interest in in people mm-hmm. and science. Those two things were very, I was strong sure. in both those spaces. Yeah. And so it just felt very natural to think that I would do the MCATs. Like I thought about that since I was young without thinking of it like stressfully. Right, yeah. And I, uh, but my parents never pushed that. I, I've been very fortunate to have parents that wanted me to do what I wanted to do. Right, and that's so unusual, isn't it, for your background that you brought up. So do, you must, um obviously love them for that for lack of a better word i mean right uh i'm very grateful yeah. so they i think i just like to say i'm products of them so they are pioneers in their own right that mm-hmm. they left their home country and they left p- their entire families to pursue what they wanted not necessarily what their families may have wanted for sure um yeah. and so i think if they ever challenged me and maybe this is i challenge them a lot um, if they ever challenged me i'm like well I'm your child and I'm doing the same things you did. So, right. so deal with the consequences of who you are. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. And that's such an unusual parenting technique. A lot of parents think that, you know, they don't look back at what they did as yeah. a kid. Right. And you know what I mean? They're forcing this, this image that they want on their kids and never look back and be like, I did the same thing. Yeah. You know, for sure. So how does it, how do you go from then Newfoundland, which I had no idea about, by the way, how do you go from Newfoundland then to Vancouver? Like, did you, uh, was was that naturopathic medicine that brought you there? Or? Uh, no. So I was in the I was in my second year of university, uh, and I was in Newfoundland, mm-hmm. and I wanted to take a break because I was in um, biochemistry, and there was just something that didn't feel right about the the academic elevator, where you just right. or escalator where you just continue on without a without life experience in contributing yes it's like just continuing to gain academic stature this is what I'm supposed to do yeah yeah and so I took a year and did Canada World Youth which I was so fortunate to be um, accepted into and I recommend it for any Canadian youth to be part of of traveling and experiencing the world in a in an integrated way in a community as opposed to travel tourism Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was placed in Duncan, BC, and then in Costa Rica. So we did uh, three and a half months in Duncan doing volunteer work, right. and in three and a half months in Costa Rica. So I, I moved out here after that okay. um, because of the draw 
Got it. To BC. Of course. Talk about uh, contrast between Costa Rica and Duncan, BC. (laughs) (laughs) My goodness. Yeah. The the contrast between the two. Yeah. I mean, small town, um, small town anywhere can be very similar. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. uh, but I think that is the goal of Canada World Youth to really open people's eyes to places they don't, uh, they may have preconceived notions about and, right. and say like, one, you may have assumptions about a small town in your own country mm-hmm. and you also may have assumptions about a country that you know nothing about. For sure. And, um, and I think it changed my life. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, so where do you find, um, cause I know you're a big proponent of yoga. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do you find that? I mean, you have over 600 hours of training you've taught for 15 years where does where does that come into your life? Where did you discover that? That was actually, I think, so many of the shifts happened in Canada World Youth. Of course, interesting. And so one of the participants, um, when we were when we were in our work together, she she said this would be really helpful for us to just in personal. It wasn't for the entire group. We were just working on one of the farms together, and she said this. Let's do this in the mornings together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it piqued my interest. And I was in my, I was 20 at the time. Okay. Um, and then I, I just happened to come back to Newfoundland after Canada World Youth. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess I came back to Newfoundland after Canada World Youth. And I happened to work for this tour company. And the person who owned the tour company happened to own the only yoga studio in Vancouver at the time. Wow. Prana Yoga Center. Yeah. And when I said, hey, I'm going to move to Vancouver, I have to give my notice. He said to me, he essentially, he he was fabulous and he could see what, where my skill set and what I could do with my life mm-hmm. would be, would flourish here. Okay. And he said, I already have a job for you. And so he, he sent me here with a job before I had a home. Interesting. Um, to work at this yoga center. And so from that introduction, I was just immersed. It was my life. For, right. since the moment I stepped in off the plane. Wow. Uh, and so it became such an integral part of my life after yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And more so. I, I like that approach to it rather than just I'm, I identify as a hipster, so I'm going to do yoga as well. <laughs> that, he, yeah, right? I mean, there's a level of value to every of every approach. Yeah. Uh, I would say that the, the immersion of my life mm-hmm. into a community that was steeped in kinetic conscious awareness of of body and mind right that that was where the value was for me Mm -hmm. um at the time it was so wonderful and it still is for sure absolutely yeah Mm -hmm. um in going through your website as i've mentioned before which is anyone should anyone who's listening to this anyone who's uh, looking on google should research your website and come to that because it's so inspirational honestly for me uh, I found um, there's a big uh, one of the biggest taglines at the top of the page is medicine is changing, mm-hmm. um, and I'd like to expand on that. So, what do you think? What do you think the change is? How are you a part of it? And where do you think it's going? Mm-hmm. I think it's ever changing now. Mm-hmm. So even when I uh, built that website, what I may have thought at that time of what medicine is changing meant is changing even more now. Mm-hmm. Um, so medicine in itself can change people's lives, which I think is one element of what that means. Of course. Um, but the, the piece that is really meaningful to me is that we're at a turning point in history, I think, for medicine. Mm-hmm. We've had certain eras of paradigms 
uh, with how we may treat illness, how we assume treatment exists, and how we treat patients as humans. Uh, And we're coming through a a great turning, I think, um, in terms of patient-centered care Mm -hmm. and how we intelligently use objective data, meaning the labs or the all the different technologies that are able to assess somebody mm-hmm. and at the same time keep it personal. Right. Because I think that's that's where the biggest shift is, is For that sure. like previously we had a lot of patient centered care with not a lot of data. Mm-hmm. And then there has been there has been a lot of data available. Right. Um, but because that data was so exciting and new that became the focus and I think we're turning a corner where physicians across many different practice styles Mm -hmm. are starting to see ways to integrate that not to be one or the other right not to be like completely um uh what's the word for just consults yeah anecdotally judgment based um but not to be completely algorithm based right so I think that's one of the big changes that's happening and you see it Eric Topol is a wonderful MD who just wrote a just published his book, which is about um, how artificial intelligence can help us become more human in our interactions with mm. with uh, patients, right. and that the current status is actually harming us. Right, it's making right. things less personalized because we're relying so much on a technology that we haven't learned how to integrate our personalities between each other. So, it just got published, and I'd like to read it, but yeah. I think it's happening everywhere, not just within my little circle for sure i would i mean i would love to pick that up as well i mean right now there seems to be the opposite opinion where ai seems to be everyone thinks the personal approach is going to fade away with that right Mm -hmm. is that you're not going to be able to look at the person face to face a computer can't look at a person and and kind of read right read symptoms from that where a computer is just taking x y and z and i would say that that's my first uh instinct of course right and i think that's why his perspective is so controversial and challenging, but also paradigm shifting to say yeah. like, wait, is what we're doing right now actually personal at all? Absolutely. It's, yeah. like, it's that perhaps this is the next stage that takes us out of this depersonalized space. Right. Um, and, and I, again, haven't read the book, but I, yeah. I watch a lot of what he does and how he looks at this uh, perspective. Of course. And yeah. I, I'm excited about the change that's Definitely. happening. Well, it looks like we need to record another episode after we both read that book. Yes. <laughs> this is what we need to do. This is what we need to do. Um, I want to read you a quote, if that's okay. Of course. Um, the quote is, I want to hear your story about your home and family. The relationship will allow us to find solutions that work. I will not expect you to fix yourself. I will not offer a magic cure. It's far more practical than that, far more collaborative and lasting. Do you know who said that? <laughs> Obama. No, uh, <laughs> uh, yes, I, I wrote that. I'm sure he's, I'm sure he said something along Maybe those lines Maybe he would agree with point, this. Right? Um, I saw that and I, uh, the approach to patient care is completely, beautifully summed up in that mm. quote. And, um, and I think I wanted to expand on basically just the magic cure section of that is so many patients walk in expecting right? Maybe they're just uh, atoned to that that Western style of they're going to get a pill and they'll be okay. Um, But just that magic cure is everyone thinks now healthcare is, yeah, this doctor has the answer. They're going to give me, even if it's just a piece of information, something I didn't know before. What do they know that I don't know that's going to be the magic, Mm -hmm. the magic key to, you know, my better life? And how how do you, so how do you combat that? How do you uh, gear patients away from thinking that this is just going to be a magical road? Um, and, and prepare them for this is going to be a struggle. You know, healthcare is, you know, 
is challenging. Yeah, and and healthcare is life. It's it's yeah. how we navigate life. I I think part of that is explicitly stating that in those com in those quotes on my website, trying to really be clear that that embarking in a relationship with me it means mm-hmm. it's a relationship and that there is um that it's not i am not a commodity i right. am not something that you that is uh has a has a distinct objective uh deliverable mm-hmm. right that it's like if i if i go here you will give me this it's like right. well we're gonna figure this out together yeah uh and that my years of experience and knowledge can help with that for sure and so i think i really focus on that as a as a as marketing and messaging that i do and right. also as soon as someone walks in the door uh for their first consult i will spend the time to actually differentiate the different forms of naturopathic medicine yeah. and where i fit in that and i ask them before we begin speaking i'm like does this work for you because right. if it's not then we should just not start this relationship absolutely yeah yeah for sure um so many people and do you find that's that's a challenging conversation initially like do you find patients do you find more or not uh, more often than not patients are coming in expecting it to be at the end of this appointment I, i'm gonna be i'm gonna be better I haven't found that. No? Uh, I think mostly because people come through uh, referrals or through that right. um, channel where they've researched me a little bit before they come. Of course. And so there's a there's an awareness. They show up in a way that uh, aligns with how we might want to work together. Right. Yeah. For sure. Um, and also in my extensive research, I also found out that you were a Governor General Gold Medal finalist. Governor General's Gold Award, yes. Yeah, how did that come about? What it... So what the Governor General Gold Award is, every year mm-hmm. um, in universities, they uh, award the best thesis, a Governor General's Gold Award. So it's okay. not like the Governor General's Award, which is not what right. I was a finalist for, let's be clear. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> not close to that. Uh, but the Governor General's Gold Award and, right. uh, is given to the best thesis of the university. Oh, great. Okay. And so I wrote a thesis uh, that was about teaching uh, and yoga teaching. I did my, my master's in education and communications. Okay. And I did it about teaching and yoga teachers mm-hmm. and what success looks like for them, what it means to teach a meaningful practice. Right. Uh, how do you, how does there's no measurables, there's no tests. What does it mean to be okay. a yoga teacher? And I did it through a a methodology that is well known for being difficult to explain okay um it's called hermeneutic phenomenology uh it's hard to say and hard to explain uh but it's actually it applies really beautifully to almost everything i do which is that (laughs) which is which is that nothing is nothing is complete nothing is finished you don't have an answer at the end of your interview you always it's an iterative process where you're always coming around in circles to re-understand and the basis of it is that um, assume we have always misunderstood the other person Mm -hmm. so that's the basis of the methodology i used okay uh but it's a very challenging methodology to explain Mm -hmm. Uh, and i the reason i was uh, a finalist for that was uh it was about the ability to turn research methodology and research uh, results into a, com- a narrative. So they did it in a storytelling way. Okay. And so that's it was unique, and so it was it was um, acknowledged for that. Acknowledged for that, which yeah. is which was really wonderful. Absolutely. Yeah. That's fantastic. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and we move to now your work with 
Molecular U. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought maybe you could just tell us a little bit about what Molecular U does, what they stand for, what their, their mission statement is. Um, sure, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Molecular U is a technology company uh, and using essentially the the cutting edge research around what's in our blood mm-hmm. and how that can determine what our underlying health or disease may be. Okay. And so we see that in general through our life labs or our, our blood work that we do, mm-hmm. as you can see that, oh, here's my cholesterol number, here's my blood sugar, my iron is low. Right. Um, and those are really pinpointed specific blood markers that we're looking at and where we're what we're capable of capable of doing with technology and lab work Mm -hmm. is we can assess the tiniest molecules in someone's body and we can those can identify whether someone's inflammation is extremely um, imbalanced or whether they have underlying features of blood uh, clotting disorders so it's not necessarily like it's it's not that it's going to give you the answer, right, but right, it, right. it's like little signals that that are stronger and have never before been used. Okay, and so that is what molecular U has the capability to offer people. Right, wow. um, which is fabulous. Yeah, and my and really it's also about that being accessible by the patient. So so much information is behind closed doors. The physician holds the doors and tells Mm -hmm. you you have a disease. Mm -hmm. And this, especially in our current world, there's a lot of knowledge in the collective public. For sure. And that that their data is their data. So similar to a DNA data, there's there's your blood data and you have you can look at it yourself and and try and understand that yourself. So that's part of the the bigger picture of molecular you. So a patient can come to them on their own. They don't need a referral at all from a doctor. They can just walk in and I'd like to yeah, I'd like to look at my, my blood. Yeah, I'd like you yeah. to take my blood. Of course. Take yeah, yeah. my blood away. <laughs> right. um, and then they would analyze it and um, and give you back the information. Again, it doesn't give you an answer, but it's more information that you can work with and that you don't have to go through the... It always, always helps to go through a, the filter of a physician, but it's your information. Mm-hmm. I mean, in BC and Ontario, we're lucky. We have access to our own data. We have My eHealth. Right. You can download your own labs. In a lot of provinces and other states, like... That's always in your chart, and you have to request to even see that information. Right, exactly. Yeah. So it doesn't feel as unique in BC in the sense that people are like, but I can always see my lab results, but that's not the truth for everyone. Right, absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. And not in the truth, and in the States, I mean, you can walk in and, and have, you know what I mean, and ask for a blood test yeah. anytime you want, if you're willing to pay for it. Absolutely. Right? And those results are coming to you. They're not mm-hmm. being sent to any physician. Yeah, and yeah. just having that, know, knowing that your own, you are the hub of your health information, I think is really important to molecular you. Absolutely. And, uh, and then the capacity that they're able to assess your blood for things that are in research, but physicians and the medical system hasn't necessarily even been able to touch or dive into that even yet. Right, for sure. Mm-hmm. And your role with them right now is? Is a clinical training okay. role. So working with physicians who are interested in this, I'm, I'm very intimately aware of the constant research that's happening and the questions of like, why would that be a, why would that be important? What about research that says it's not? And so I'm able right. to answer questions around that and I'm very, well-versed in the 300 markers that they do test for, which is a lot more than standard. Um, And so I know their function and the physiological function in the body. And even as physicians, if you've, 
you've learned that in third year medical school because everything is so practical mm-hmm. you may have forgotten what complement c3 does versus complement c6 and why one would be more important than the other and i can help decipher those things right so it's a lot about trust building between the physicians and the lab itself absolutely yeah mm-hmm. and and so far it's going well mm-hmm. with them. Are they, yeah, yeah it's growing? such a rewarding good uh space to be in it mm-hmm. feels feels lovely to work with a team of brilliant brilliant people it's i've never i've never experienced something so uh, humbling and exciting at the absolutely. same time yeah well, I hope it takes, I mean, since joining uh, Pure and and hearing about this, I had never heard of molecular use. So I hope, obviously, it sounds like a, a, yeah. an incredible venture and I hope it takes off. Us uh, too. Yeah, <laughs> of course, <laughs> absolutely. Um, okay, so let's move to a uh, section of our podcast we call Rapid Pure, which is very short answer questions. Okay. Um, uh, of course, I did steal these questions from Inside the Actor Studio with James Lipton. The sorry. best. But, right? Exactly. Totally. Um, uh, so let's go through uh, one at a time. Let's go. First one is... What is your favorite word? Joy. What is your least favorite word? Can't. What turns you on? The hum, humble confidence. What turns you off? Arrogant pride. What sound or noise do you love? Silence. What sound or noise do you hate? Oh, that's a tough one. The horn going off earlier during our podcast? No, I don't know if I have... Oh, you know what sound I hate? It's the sound of tinny cafes. Cafes that haven't done soundproofing. Yes. The worst. That's such a good point. (laughs) Yes. You know, I've never actually had this discussion with anyone, but we all can We all know what that is. You walk in and you're like, I'm in a tin can and I hear everything constantly all the time and all at once. Exactly. The worst. Which is the exact opposite of what you want in a cafe. That's a great answer. Um, What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I think in the most underrated, under-recognized profession, Mm -hmm. which is a full-time stay-at-home mom great you want to have your own housewife show (laughs) (laughs) was that that that's what that's all about yeah i like it uh what profession would you not like to do that's a really tough one because i don't i have maybe it's from being a physician that i uh i just have such awe at every person's experience of their life that mm-hmm. it's just like how everyone should be a waiter or a waitress at some point in their life it's so like true. there's so many jobs that I, I'm like I would never be able to not do that because people do that right yeah and so it's like that's it would be so arrogant to be like I would never do that job right uh, because people do that job and I if, if, if I don't want to do that job I should get my ass somewhere and do that job so that exactly. I understand what it's like to do that job exactly it's commendable that they're doing yeah that they're doing any job that I might like be like never exactly yeah like yeah I mean I imagine like cleaning up people's excrement would be the worst but I've done that too and it's like I still think that I should always do the job that I would imagine never being able to do yeah yeah, that's a great, I, I like that answer. And finally, uh, the tagline for our podcast is live pure. Right. Um, so if I said, 
what does living pure mean to you? Um, I think pure is a is a word that's often associated with clean, mm-hmm. uh, and it's often sometimes associated with like your diet or how you like yeah, your exercise or your diet. And I would say that um, what I think living pure is is being able to be comfortable with who I am, how I am, how I respond and react to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and living pure, pure, purely, or living pure would be that I get better and better at being able to take space between what I feel and what I say. Mm-hmm. So I don't think of it like raw or, or it's like just being honest isn't to me pure. It's like being right. able to metabolize and be, be more in aware of how I show up in the world. Mm -hmm. That is living pure to me. It's a beautiful way to end. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me.